a little over 12 months ago, uh, the elders, our session, introduced a church vision. Uh, that is, a target to aim for, a preferred future, a biblical description of who God wants us to be and, and what we hope God will do in us and through us. Uh, here's what we decided. Uh, our vision is to be a church through which God is transforming his people and his world. A church through which God is transforming his people and his world. Uh, the Bible's message is that God is at work transforming or changing people. Uh, he's changing them from one thing into another. He's changing them from being spiritually dead to alive. From selfish, unloving, proud rebels into loving, humble, gentle followers of Jesus who love God with their whole heart. Now our vision reflects that we want our church to be a place where that is happening, where God is doing those things. Now why have a vision? Why have a vision? Well, because a, a vision has the power to energise and to guide the things that we do. A vision shapes what we do, as well as helping you decide what not to do. A vision will help you decide what things to aim for. Uh, it'll help us set objectives uh, and outcomes. Uh, if you want to achieve anything, then you need to aim at something. Uh, there's a saying, if you aim at nothing, you will hit it every time. Uh, now, when I first started thinking about these things, I, I had reservations, I wasn't sure. Uh, to think this way about setting visions and outcomes and goals, it, it was quite different from the way I'd been trained and the way I'd thought about ministry for a lot of the time. Uh, I'd been trained that the work of Christian ministry was to teach the Bible, to pray, to tell people about Jesus, to love people, to look after them. And that God would build his church the way he wanted to. And that all I had to do was to, to just be faithful now that's true, that is certainly true. Uh, if someone had asked me why I did those things, what my goal was, I guess I would have said that it was to build a healthy church or to grow Christians to maturity. But I'm not sure I, I ever thought specifically about what that was. What was a mature Christian? What, what did a mature Christian look like? Uh, what was a healthy church? What was a church that God would say, yes, that's what I want, rather than one that God would say, hmm, there's problems there. And so what we began to do, uh, uh, but as we began to do that a couple of years ago, to ask those questions, to look at how the Bible described a healthy church and, uh, and a mature Christian, we realised that one way of, of summarising this, it's not the only way, uh, was that there are five areas uh, five areas that describe what a mature Christian looks like or, or, or a growing follower of Jesus or even a healthy church. Uh, God wants to transform us into followers of Jesus, into a church uh, who love God, uh, who love one another, who are being shaped by God's word, influenced. Mary began the service today talking about influences. We want to be shaped, changed by God's word. 
God wants people who serve, who serve the church, who use their gifts to, to build up everybody else. Uh, and lastly, God wants a church or, or, or followers who are on mission, not necessarily missionaries in another country, but are just living their lives for the purpose of seeing other people come to know Jesus. So they're the five areas. We decided that though, that would be what we focus our efforts on, those five areas, five things to aim for, five targets we would try to hit. And so our next question became, um, a couple of years ago or last year, how? How can we encourage people to grow in each of those five areas? What should we do? And so we introduced this idea of ministry teams. Uh, Each ministry team is a group of people who are responsible for part of one of those five areas. There's a welcoming team, a hospitality team, an evangelism, follow-up, home groups, music, youth, Sunday school. Each of these are groups of people helping all of us to grow in one of those five areas. We've been trying to build that in the last year or so. Now, hopefully what it means, we're not there yet, we've got more work to do, but hopefully what it means is that people will begin to know why they do what they're doing, uh, as well as what they're doing. Uh, Hopefully they can begin to see that their ministry fits into this whole strategy of growing followers of Jesus, of making people, or or helping God to, to make people who love him, who love one another, who are shaped by his word, who serve and who are on mission for Jesus. Uh, Being part of a team gives us opportunities to actually help one another do those things as well, just being in a team with a group of people. Uh, And hopefully what it means is that we'll actually be more effective, or God will be more effective at growing us into mature Christians. Well, perhaps you're thinking, whoa, 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 hang on a minute, Dave. The, the vision says that God is transforming his people and his world. Isn't, doesn't God do it? What, why are you focusing on what we do rather than on what God will do? Isn't this all too human-centred, perhaps you're thinking? Isn't it forgetting that God's in charge? And some people did say that a year ago or a year and a half ago. Uh, they said it was too human-focused, that it wasn't trusting God. They said that God would build his church and if we were going to make plans like this, that would be working independently from God and would show that we weren't trusting him. And so what I want to do today, what the purpose of today is to just show you from the Bible why I think this is a a biblical thing to do, that that I think God wants us to be setting a target and, and then working out how to achieve it. From Colossians 1, we can see how the Apostle Paul shaped what he did and why he did things on the basis of God's goal for his church, his his future plan. Paul's vision didn't stop God from working. It didn't ignore God's part in what Paul did. In fact, it actually energised Paul and guided him so he could faithfully work with God. Well, that's what we'll see. Uh, let's jump in after a quick introduction. Hopefully have Colossians chapter 1 open on the, on the little sheet. Colossians chapter 1, after a quick introduction, he begins his letter, verse 3. He says, 
by giving thanks to God. Why is he giving thanks to God? Well, because God is working. Uh, Verse 4, sure, the Colossian church, they've achieved some things. They have faith in Jesus and they have love for all the saints. Verse 5, that faith and that love comes from the hope that they have stored in heaven. But all of those things that the Colossians have as character, you know, things to do with them, they come because of the gospel, verse 6. Have a look at verse 6. The word of truth about Jesus. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing. And Paul is thanking God because it's growing in the Colossian church. God works through the message about Jesus. God grows fruit. God produces faith and love and hope in people. And so we should give thanks to God for what he is doing in us. In all the plans that we make and in all the things that we do, we have to do them in dependence on God, recognising that it is all God's work. Psalm 127 verse 1 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labour in vain. We're wasting our time. We're wasting our time. We need to depend on God and to give him thanks. So that's the first point. uh, We're to give thanks because God is at work from verse 3. But notice verse 7. How did the Colossians hear the message? You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf. God worked, but he used people. He used faithful people, servant-hearted people, courageous people, people who were organised and who made plans and who carried those plans out because they trusted that God would work through them Every person who becomes a Christian, everyone who moves from death to life, who is born again, is a miracle from God. And it's all God's work. But almost always, there's also someone that God God uses to lead that person to salvation. Almost always. You can ask Bill about examples of people who pick up a Bible in a hotel room and come to Jesus without someone else. But most of the time, there is someone who introduces that person and God uses them. And so verse 9, Paul prays even more. He's so encouraged by what God is doing, he prays that God will do more. Verse 9, he prays that God would build on what had been begun And he prays that God would fill the people in the Colossian church with the knowledge of God's will, verse 9, through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now just stop and think about that for a moment. He doesn't pray that they would grow. He doesn't pray that they would be successful or loving or healthy or joyful. Now they're all great things to pray for. He prays that they would know God's will for them. He, would, he prays that they would know what God wants them to be and to do. That is, he prays that they would understand God's, I suggest, vision for them or God's plan for them. 
He prays that they would know the target God wants them to be heading towards. Why? I think so that they can aim for it and begin working to achieve it. He prays that they would know God's will. And then I think verses 10 to 12, we actually come to what God's will is. I think it's one of the most complete descriptions of God's vision for a mature Christian. Verse 10 to 12 describe God's will for his people. Read it along with me. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father. It begins with a summary. God's will for you, God's vision for you is that you live a life worthy of him, a life that measures up, a life that pleases him in every way. And then some specific points that you would bear fruit in every good work, that you would grow in knowledge, that you would have great endurance and patience, that you would be joyful and give thanks to God. Now this is a complete, well-rounded combination of character and service, learning, attitude, resilience. Now Paul doesn't pray for those things. He prays that Christians would know God's will, which is those things. I wonder if his reason is that ultimately because the Christian life is a relationship. The Christian life is not a self-improvement path. It's not a series of levels to achieve. The Christian life is a life lived for God with God. The Christian life is personal. And so Paul prays that we would know what God's will is for us. We exist for his pleasure. We exist in response to him. Lives that measure up to his standards for his benefit to live worthy of him. Does that describe the focus of your life? Well, what has God done to deserve such total loyalty and honour? Verse 12 continues. Who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That's transforming, isn't it? That's what that's God transforming people and his world. Uh, we've been rescued from darkness and death and brought into forgiveness and freedom and light and life. The kingdom of his son Jesus. What an incredible before and after comparison. No wonder we can joyfully give thanks to him. Uh, verses 15 to 20. They're, they're a sermon in themselves. They have many wonderful truths about how glorious Jesus is. But today we're going to jump over them, except to pause for a moment at verse 18. Verse 18 describes what God has done for Jesus. 
But I want you to notice why God does that. God's vision for who Jesus will be and how people will respond to him. Look at verse 18. And he, Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Can you see it? God does certain things for Jesus to achieve his vision of the future for Jesus. He crowns Jesus as king of the church. He, he crowns him as king over death. Why? So that Jesus might be the king of everything. So that every knee will bow before him. That's his vision for Jesus. Now do you notice the part the church plays in that? As we live with Jesus as king, then we play a part in him becoming sovereign in everything, number one in everything. As we live with him as number one, we model what it looks like. We publicise it. We preview what it means to other people as they consider making Jesus their king. Our, our actions and our plans and our strategies work to achieving that vision that he might have the supremacy in everything. Well then, verses 21 to 23, moving on. They describe what Jesus has done for Christians. We used to be God's enemies because of our sin. But verse 22, God reconciled us, uh, Jesus reconciled us with God for a purpose so we might be presented holy in his sight and free from accusation. There's, there's another vision for what God wants his people to be on Judgment Day. God reconciles us now so that we might be presented holy in his sight. But do you notice the condition in verse 23? If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. Paul describes God's future vision, plans for his people, as a motivation and a guide for us now. We need to persevere and not waver so we might be presented wholly in his sight. The value of that vision, God actually uses it as a tool to enable his elect to continue in their faith. Continue in your faith so that you may be presented wholly. That is God's tool for us so that we might be found that way. So let, let these verses motivate you to continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope. Well, we've seen God's vision for his people right now. That was verse 10, to live a life worthy of the Lord, to please him in every way. We've seen something of God's vision for Jesus in the future, that in everything, verse 18, he might have the supremacy. We've seen God's vision for his people then, on that day, verse 22, to be presented wholly in his sight without blemish. Finally, in verse 24, Paul turns to himself and how all of these things, this theology, affect him. Now, at first glance, what he says sounds like nonsense. <laughs> Have a look at verse 24. Now, I rejoice in what was suffered for you. 
and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. Paul's ministry, you can read about it in Acts, and he describes it in 2 Corinthians in a couple of places as well. His ministry all over the continent of Asia, Minor, and over Europe has meant that he's been beaten and stoned and whipped and abandoned and shipwrecked. He's been hungry and lonely. But in all of that, he rejoices. How could he do that? Because he's suffering for a purpose. He's doing it for the church. Uh, Just like Jesus suffered to bring the church into existence, Paul suffers to take the message of Jesus to the world. In verse 27, he, he describes the message that he's suffering for as a glorious mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, that's a wonderful vision to to inspire and strengthen him. Christ in you. He's thinking about the Gentiles specifically. That Jesus, by his Holy Spirit, would come and live with human beings all over the Gentile world. That there would be thousands of little temples containing the presence of God himself. Human beings. A foretaste of eternity. when when we will be with God completely. Now, the glory of that vision made Paul's suffering seem small and unimportant by comparison, and so he could be joyful. And so we come, verse 28 and 29, to Paul's ministry plan to use modern language. His strategy, his mission, objectives, guided by his vision. Just a few buzzwords that you might hear around these types of things. It's really what he's planning to do and why. What motivates him. I wonder if you can see them. Have a look at verse 28. We proclaim him admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. What does he do? Well, he proclaims Jesus. And what does it look like to proclaim Jesus? Well, specifically, he, he admonishes. He corrects what is wrong. And he teaches. He instructs what is right. But he's not just furiously doing random things. Why is he, why is he doing all of that instruction? What's his mission? What's his, his key, his central activity? Well, it's to present everyone perfect. Now that word means mature or complete or thorough or or having achieved the target. He wants to present everyone perfect in Christ. His life's work is to prepare people for that final presentation before Jesus. He rebukes their sin, he guides them, he teaches them God's commands, he challenges, corrects, loves and prays for them also that they might be presented, mature, joined to Jesus. So what is his vision, to use the language that I've been using? What does he want to see? It's there, isn't it? Everyone perfect in Christ. That's his vision. Everyone perfect in Christ. Every single person that God has chosen 
standing before him at the end of time. That's the vision, male and female, young and old, rich and poor, successful, failures, all of them perfected, mature, Christ-like, humble, shaped, hopeful, content, victors who finish the race what a glorious picture that is to, to motivate and inspire and guide and energise Paul. Look at what it does for Paul, verse 29. To this end I labour, struggling with all his energy which so powerfully works in me. For this goal I work. He strenuously strives towards that goal. Now, it sounds exhausting, doesn't it? But do you notice where the energy comes from? It comes from God. It's not just Paul and it's not God and Paul sitting on a chair somewhere. It, it's not about Paul letting go and letting God. Paul works in God's strength. It's a partnership between Paul working hard and God working in him. A literal translation of these verses say, I work hard, struggling according to his energy, having energised me in power. Now that's what God is calling us to do as well this year. To struggle so that people will be presented to God mature or perfect in Christ. Is that something you can contribute, you can join in doing? Roz or I would love to help you find a place where you can join in doing that struggle to present people maturing Christ. But, but how can we do that? Where, where do we get the energy for that? Like I, I sometimes hardly have the energy to get out of bed in the morning or to, to go oh, another week. How, do we, how can we be like Paul? How can we work hard on the one hand but allow God's power to work in us? Well, firstly, verse 9, I think we need to recognise that everything we do is for the sake of pleasing God. We need to know what his will for us is. We need to remember that all that we do is about a relationship with our Heavenly Father. We can never separate what we do from who we do it for, that, that we're walking with God living a life worthy of him, to please him. That's the first thing. Uh, secondly, how can we be energised? Uh, we need to recognise that we don't do it in our own strength. Uh, fruit that we are bearing is not due to us, it's due to God. We need to re remind one another so that we'll be humble and dependent on him. And that will naturally, third, flow into prayerfulness. We won't just work, we will work and pray because everything depends on God. We will give thanks to him and we will ask for things, verse 9. Uh, fourth, uh, I suggest we can be energised by focusing on the vision. For Paul, it was that everyone be presented perfect in Christ or as we're expressing that same vision, a church through which God is transforming his people and his world. Keep that before your eyes. Let it guide you and motivate you and energise you. 
Uh, and finally, be faithful to the means. What do I mean by that? Well, God's plan is to use us to grow our church. He wants to use us. Uh, and so, be faithful to the means. Labour. Put your head down. Put your tail up. Work hard. Struggle with all his energy. Why? Verse 20. So that God might reconcile all things to himself through Jesus. There's a goal. And that in everything, Jesus might have the supremacy. Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, there are some wonderful pictures there of what you want to see your world and your son and your people become. Help us to see with the eyes of faith. Give us the strength and the direction and the motivation that we might play a part in you working to achieve these things. And we pray it all for the glory of Jesus. Amen.